Pod. Pod. How's it going? So, how's your podcast doing? Yeah, it's going on. This for a while or what? Uh, It's literally like had the idea for it um, about a year ago, but only really started it during the pandemic. Right on. Yeah, I've been interviewing bands from that naughty period, but kind of wanted to extend it out a bit and just a bit of an excuse to talk to bands that I'm listening to at the minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some it's a episodes. pretty it's a pretty niche uh topic for a podcast. Uh if you were only gonna interview bands from that era, you probably well maybe you wouldn't run out that quick, but I see your point is why you would want to have other bands as well. Yeah, and just make it a bit more you know, just mix it up a little bit as well. Might get a bit boring otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, so how old are you? Did you, were you coming of age around that time or what's the story with that particular era? Yeah. So I'm about, I'm, well, I'm 32 now. So. Oh, okay. Was, so we're the same age. Oh, uh, really? Okay. I did think you guys were a bit older than, you know, your average new band, I guess. Yeah. And I guess I don't usually do like formal introductions, but it might help in this situation. So yeah, just say your name and like what you do in the band. Sure, I'm Jeremy and I sing and I play guitar. Yeah, and, and I'm... Ki- the band name is Kiwi Junior also. Maybe I should <laughs> yes, get it. Is. Let's okay, let's try it one more time. Hello, <laughs> my name is Jeremy and I sing and play guitar in Kiwi Junior. And I, my, uh, <laughs> uh, my name is Broen Moore, and uh, I I also play in Kiwi Junior, but I I play the drums. But yeah, I was telling to uh, Jeremy like the original premise of the podcast was to talk to bands from that Nazis period, um, but just wanted to do a few like bonus episodes with like just an excuse to talk to bands that I've been listening to, and uh, I was listening to you guys earlier this year because. I don't know if you're aware, but one of you, uh, Give Me More, you saw Give Me More, was on a program called Soccer AM over here. And that's where I first heard the single. I don't know if you know anything about that. You're kidding. What is it called? Soccer AM. It's about, um, it's obviously about UK soccer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do like a highlights of the, the best goals of that week. And, you're, and they pick a song every week and they pick your guy's song. And that's where I heard, first heard you. And then, yeah, went, obviously went out to Spotify and stuff. But yeah been enjoying that's cool music since then it's funny they didn't play the song football money (laughs) i guess a useful place to start would be just to give us an idea about your your background in music and how you went from starting the band to eventually releasing football money well i can just say that uh we're from toronto canada and uh we started playing music together the four of us um probably around 2006, 2007, and started recording the album pretty quickly um, after forming. And then uh, it finally came out in 2009 in Canada, but then it just got re-released on a a kind of a bigger scale just this past January, I think, is when it was a January or anyway, this past year in 2020, it came out in the UK and the US and, uh, and just got a bit of a bigger push behind it. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty new album, despite the fact that we kind of started recording it in like 2016 or 17. Um, and then we just, uh, put out a new single last week, uh, for a record that's going to be coming out next year. Yeah. Cause, um, you played a few 
shows in, in the UK, that's right. Um, was it earlier this year? Or was it back uh, in the last year? No, it was this year. It was in January or February of this year. We did just a short UK run. We did Leeds, London, Manchester, Bristol, I think. Right. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm in Manchester because I was going to say I was messaging... Because you were supporting someone, weren't you, in Manchester? Uh, I... I like played before someone else, basically. I'm trying to remember the name of that band. They're pretty good. Um, do you remember the name of that group? They were wearing gold suits. Brown, do you remember who that was? Yeah, no, I don't. I was trying to remember. Um, they, those dates kind of blur a bit for me, but... Yeah. Yeah, all those pints of bitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly but yeah did you enjoy that time in the uk i had a great i think we had a great time it was super short and it was super fun and like i said we were excited to go back in may we had uh, a tour planned and we were going to go to i think we were going to go to dublin and glasgow as well and i was really disappointed we couldn't go we had a great all those shows we played in the uk were great though and it was surprising to us like people knew our music and and there were people who had you know bought tickets in advance and stuff which was pretty wild for us because we don't even get that many people in our hometown coming to see us to be honest (laughs) all of those Um, soccer am fans yeah exactly where's that base set is that london what is that on like sky sports yeah it's on it's like yeah sky sports is it actually yeah yeah um my knowledge of i have a decent knowledge of uk tv every time there's i would i would have guessed sky or i don't know what else is there channel four channel five yeah, yeah. get bbc itv oh, yeah but yeah sky sports i mean i imagine soccer i must get millions of viewers so it's a good place to get to get featured for sure that's cool our uh, bass player used to live in london for a while and uh He's a big soccer guy. And he had a tryout with, uh, like, oh, my God. I asked him to come on this podcast, and he had something else on, but he could tell you what team he had a tryout for. It was, like, tier three or something. It was, like, pretty high up. Really? Yeah, that's great. I wonder what position he was. Uh, he's fullback. All oh, right. Is he Canadian or is he English? Yeah, he's, he's Canadian, yeah. He mentioned that you were around my age, like, 32. Is, is that the same for everyone in the band? Yeah, we're all like early thirties. Okay, so I guess I'm actually thirty-one. I turned thirty-two in a few months, but just to make you feel better, I said we were the same age. <laughs> Cheers, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess as we talked about briefly, like, did you have a big influence from that naughty scene, or like, how much of a role has that played in in your music as a band? I mean, I used to, we were all fans of all of those groups at the time. I know that we talk about the Libertines a lot still. Do they qualify as that in that same period? Yeah, definitely one of the main bands in the UK for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're a reference point for us. They're are they were they like huge in the UK? I don't know any. I mean, it's hard to to know like which bands were massive. Like I remember when I was like in high school or whenever I that uh this stuff came out uh having like maximo park songs on my ipod and like i don't know if they were like a big band over there but like no one would have heard of them over here things like that everyone always says like it was the strokes who started everything and then the libertines kind of got labeled as the uk strokes so they kind of started the scene over here and then it all became like pretty massive after that 
And I guess, you know, talking to, we had Luke Jenner on from The Rapture, and he was talking about how, you know, a lot of bands from the US make it in the UK before, you know, like, well, Canada or America. Is that something you've been aware of? Is that something you kind of hope to do by playing gigs in the UK? Yeah, I think that is, I think part of that is that they play rock bands on the radio over there and on sports highlights shows apparently too, but <laughs> they don't, it's, it's hard to get played on the radio here. It's mostly like pop and hip hop and stuff, but didn't Broen, didn't the Strokes get big in the UK? Broen's a big Strokes fan, so I defer to him, but they were bigger in the UK first too, right? Yeah, that's they like went to the UK and did a tour, and when they came back, that's when like uh, the label bidding war happened for them, like because uh, they got they got so massive uh, in the UK uh, and Rough Trade Records, and uh, uh, I guess it was Jeff Travis at the time. Is that his name? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and um, so they like Rough Trade was the first label to sign the Strokes, and uh, and obviously that's like their their first big tour outside of the US happened there. And after they came back from that tour, there was like a bidding war, and then RCA eventually won out. I don't know what the terms were, but I, I imagine they were favorable. Let's go back to the, let's talk more about the Libertines. I have some questions for you. Go on then. Yeah. So I was a huge fan, uh, I think Brown. Were you a big Libertines fan too? Uh, up the bracket, yeah, that, that album was... Uh, you didn't like the next one? I didn't really listen. Well, I don't know what even is on that next one. The what, self-titled what, one? What's on that self-titled? I don't know it as well. Um, Cast on Me Now is the big hit off that album, I think. Likely Lads. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know those songs. Um, I mean, I didn't... I was super, super into uh, Up the Bracket, Um and then I honestly I didn't I don't know they weren't together that much longer after after that self titled right like well yeah they weren't even together when that came out I don't think you guys what's the UK response to their last record the one that came out like three years ago I don't know there's been a big thing in the UK about it being labelled as um, landfill indie like yeah I've heard I've heard this too so <laughs> it almost doesn't get talked about in a serious way and I want to like when some of the bands release new albums. Um, but I'm not sure, how, like, critically how it was received, but... I thought it had some okay songs, but they got that, like, I don't know his name, but the guy who, like, worked with Ed Sheeran and stuff to produce it. All right. And so, as a result, like, it has, like, gang vocals, like, really reverbed out gang vocals, and it's, like, the production is so not right for it. Whereas, <laughs> like, the, the sound of those first two records... It's pretty like it's pretty lo-fi when you go back and listen to it. Not I shouldn't yeah. say lo-fi. Mainly the performances are so sloppy and like sometimes like the mics cutting in and out because they're probably like not you know not on top of it and stumbling around vocal booth. Yeah, yeah. I know the first definitely the first album was recorded pretty live. I think and maybe the same for the second. And uh, yeah, Nick Jones from the Clash produced it. I think. How hands-on do you think that guy was? Nick Jones? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've heard of Alan McGee. Yeah, of course. We had him on here and uh, he was saying for that second album, he got to the point where he had to hire security guards to keep Pete and Carl apart. <laughs> Wait, were they on creation or something? No, it's weird. Like, Well, Alan McGee's like dipped his hand in everything. He was record label owner and then he was manager for a bit. And he kind of got convinced to manage the Libertines. 
some people thought he was the only person that could handle it. Um, Why? Because he because he was around Oasis and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and people thought he had the right character to handle it. <laughs> and he says he was quite reluctant, but because everyone kept telling him to do it, he did it. So yeah, he went in there and basically, I think by the sounds of it, he he strung the second album together and made it happen. But he said he had to hire security guards to keep Pete and Carl apart. So um, that's and funny. That, and that Pete only spent about say they were recording for three months. Pete ended up spending about. 13 days in the studio or something that's funny man they're a weird band i think i also was like hearing rumors or re- read a story or something that like they were assembled or something almost like a boy band like they <laughs> like they had carl and pete and then like the label like found them a bass player and a drummer <laughs> um i think that definitely happened with the drummer but i oh, think oh, okay I've read, oh yeah, I've seen interviews where basically I think they had a manager who became a bit disinterested and then the strokes kicked off and then suddenly they were very interested because they thought they were, you know, the most similar band that the UK had. And yeah, I think I think the manager said, Oh no, a drummer. But I think they already had a bassist at that point. But I think the leather jackets came out and they made a real go for it then at that point, I think. What did they call those? Do you remember the other jackets they used to wear? They wear it on like the greatest hits, the cover of the greatest hits, or something. Uh, the military jacket. Uh, is it the Chelsea pensioners jacket? <laughs> yeah, my friend. We were super into that band. My friend bought online like a, one of those jackets, not like a vintage one or anything, but like some new version of it that they make. And uh, I remember this is in like 2007, probably. And I remember him wearing or not wearing it one particular night at a party but seeing a girl that he liked wearing a jacket like that and approaching her and saying like i have that same jacket and her just like looking at his his jean jacket ever being like really and he's like yeah it's at home and uh she didn't believe him but i knew the truth that he did have that jacket at home <laughs> but it's a weird a weird style choice like coldplay started wearing jackets like that for like viva la vida sort of all right yeah, I think the Jonas Brothers also adopted those jackets for a while, for a little bit. <laughs> it became really? a weird thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those styles became very mainstream in the end, didn't they? Like the I guess it's like skinny a jeans Sergeant, and everything. Sergeant Pepper's jacket, too. Yeah. I mean, Julian Casablancas used to wear one as well, didn't he? Remember? Well, he, start, he started, yeah, he started he it, and yeah. He wore it in the MTV uh, $2 bill performance that they did. and that That was the beginning, I think. Yeah, I remember buying one because of him, basically, yeah. <laughs> Wait, you had one of those jackets? I had one of the Julian Casablancas ones. I wasn't brave enough for the red one. But you just, like, wear that walk, like, going to school? Oh, no, nah, no. Nah. I think I wore it literally about one or two nights out. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough then, thing to pull off if you're not, like, on stage. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't do it, no. <laughs> so I guess in terms of songwriting, did you say you started writing these songs... Like, 10 years ago? Uh, no, no, probably, like, 2017 is when we started recording Football Money. Um, so, yeah, 2016 to 2017. Right. For, for that record, yeah. So you've been in bands previously? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been in loads of different bands and stuff, and then, yeah, this is just the, the most recent one. You know how, like, there's... But I don't know who said it, but maybe it's like Seinfeld. 
It's like when you turn 30, like you can't make any new friends. It's like whoever, whoever you're with, these are the people for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it's kind of like that for this band, I think. Basically turn 30 and it's like, well, I guess this is the band that we'll be jamming with more <laughs> in the future from now on. So how long have you been together? Uh, yeah, since like 2016 or so. Right. And is this like the furthest you've come in a, in a band kind of thing? Or have you been uh, on a label before or anything like that? No, not never really pursued it um, as far as this in terms of like, you know, going to the UK and playing and things like that. Um, and yeah, and like we just signed the Sub Pop uh, for this new record that's coming out next year. And um, we definitely never had a US label in any other bands or anything like that. So it's exciting for us. Oh, cool. Yeah, was that quite, um, quite a big deal, obviously? A lot of history with Sub Pop. Yeah. Um, they're one of the... You know, one of the labels when you think about like independent U.S. labels with you know rock music, especially. Yeah. Um, can you just give me thirty seconds? I just need to go do something quickly. <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna take a minute too. Do you want me just to talk while you guys are going? <laughs> I'm sure he'll edit it out, but it would be funny. <laughs> be funny if you sent some kind of secret message. <laughs> uh, I'll be back in one sec. I'll uh, I'll be here. Just uh, holding it down, just like I do uh, the band, you know, hold it down, keep everyone together, keep it all together. I actually uh, play all the instruments and sing on the record. Uh, the other guys are just hired, uh, hired guns that I hired. Uh, all right. <laughs> build around myself. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Definitely keeping that in. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I wanted to ask you about the album, obviously, Football Money. Um, and I know that's a bit behind you now, but is there a theme to that album, would you say? Is there something that kind of runs through all the songs? I think a lot of that stuff is not planned. Um, you know, you, but there is going to be through lines. You know, if you get the same guy to, to write 10 or 11 different songs in the same period, he's going to touch on similar themes and, and things like that. Um, I kind of prefer other people to 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 make those conclusions, right? Like it's hard for me to to describe the the um, the overall art arc of things. Um, but I, people have have talked about different sort of through lines and themes in the past with that record. But a lot of that stuff, like I said, is not intentional. It just kind of comes out, right? It's like. It's almost like, uh, you know, whether or not you're conscious of, of what kind of clothes you're wearing, you're still going to have your own particular style, right? Just based on the fact that you're the one doing it. Um, so I don't think there's any kind of like one big concept or anything like that. Well, actually, and, I was just on Genius and uh, they beg to differ. So, I, I, Man, does Genius have our lyrics up yet? Uh, yeah, they do. I'm looking at it right now. Are they correct? Uh, the one I'm looking at is correct. What song? Because I looked at Genius like a year ago, or not a year ago, probably in the winter. And they were like fan submitted. I use the word fan in quotes, by the way. Somebody submitted the, the lyrics to that to the record on Genius.com. And 
they were so wrong and it was just stupid because when you buy the record like it comes with the lyrics we put the lyrics out there <laughs> right they're available. Um, and so then i i made an account to try to fix them because it was pissing me off like some of the lyrics that they thought i was saying which were just wrong right yeah and uh and then Genius wouldn't accept my contributions. <laughs> like, I hadn't earned enough cred on the website, right? Like, the more you edit and the more that you annotate, I guess you, you get more, I don't know, star power or something. And because right. I was a new user, like, they didn't take my thing seriously. <laughs> so then a, somebody on Twitter uh, recently, a guy from Ireland messaged us and said like hey your lyrics are all wrong on genius if you send me a document i'll, I'll fix them for you and i did so I, I don't know if he ever fixed them or not i mean yeah they look right like some of the things are kind of funny like on leslie it says like it has the ahas in there like aha leslie. <laughs> that's <laughs> funny which is funny they're there for all the songs though uh yeah all the lyrics are here for all oh the he songs. must have done it yeah i think they're all here Cheers to whoever that was. I can't remember your name, but thank you. <laughs> Are you so playing cool. in Dublin? No, we want to go, but... We were supposed to. We were, yeah. We were supposed to in May, wasn't it? Yeah, we were supposed to play a festival there. I don't remember the name of it, but maybe next year, whenever that is uh, available to us, we'll do it. Well, yeah, we booked into a lot of festivals over here. Uh, yeah, we had more UK dates and... Uh, and like I said, Glasgow, I think, and, and Ireland. And I think there was like a show in Denmark or something. All right. So there, was that like a headline tour as opposed to supporting other people? Oh, I don't know about that. I think I think like when you're a new band like us and you're booking a tour in another country, you're just kind of taking what you can get, right? Like if there's, a, if there's an opportunity to open for a band who's going to draw, you take it. Yeah, like the last time we went, like we were headlining our own London show because I think we were pretty confident that, you know, we would, we, our label and management knew enough people that we could fill the room kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like in other, in other venues across like Bristol and Manchester and stuff, we, we were supporting other groups. Can you remember why you played in London? Out of interest. It was in a basement of a pub. All oh, right, just because I used to live there for like the waiting five years. room. It's in Stoke Newington. Oh, uh, really? I literally lived in Stoke Newington. Actually, I did see. I saw that on your gig list actually, and I thought that'd have been great if I actually lived in London still. I was literally around the corner from me. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a that was a, a great show. That's a good sounding room too for being like a kind of a cube in the basement. And yeah, just going back to the songwriting. So, what's the songwriting process like? Like, am I right in thinking? You write all the songs, Jeremy, or how does it work? Yeah, for the most part. I write all the lyrics anyway, but, uh, you know, other other people write chord progressions and riffs and everything like that. And we just uh, get together and try to make it work into something interesting. I suppose I kind of asked it before, and it is a bit of a bland question, but who would you say your, your main influences were? Well, like I was kind of saying, I, can, I don't know. I can tell you groups that I was listening to when we were making the record, but I don't it's tough to say whether they are direct influences or not, you know, unless you're one of those groups who can say like, Oh, we were really trying to do like a clash sounding song, or we were really trying to do, uh, you know, whoever sounding song where we don't really do that, um, for the most part. But so I can tell you, I remember, I don't know, what were we listening to? Probably like the strokes all the time and rolling stones and, 
I don't know, usual like famous rock groups. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing crazy that's going to blow your mind. Um, we had played. Um, I'm just trying to put myself in that headspace from a couple of years ago. I remember we were into that Australian band Royal Headache a lot. Yeah, I don't know. There's lots, lots of different groups that we were listening to around that time. I mean, when I was listening to it, there's obviously there's a lot you could say in terms of comparisons, but definitely got like a pavement vibe. Would you say that was a fair shout? Yeah, I, I my voice gets compared and always has gotten compared to them. Um, but musically, I think we're pretty different, and we don't. We definitely never even talk about that band like in gym practice or anything like that um but yeah that's fair we get that a lot what we try and talk about on the podcast is like how things have changed from that notice period like a lot of bands talk about how you know, record labels were throwing money at bands at that point, trying to find the new strokes, basically. How have you guys found it in terms of, you know, finding a record label and getting your music out there? I mean, you said you've got a label and management, so do you think you have pretty much the same setup as any band did back in the day? I don't know. I, I assume not. I mean, we do have management and and the label now, which is fantastic. But I assume that, you know... 15 years ago it was pretty different i can't say from experience but i can tell i don't mean i don't know for sure it's even hard right now to say like (laughs) what's the experience been like post pandemic (laughs) right like 15 years ago i don't know but even like 15 months ago it was probably pretty different yeah true thanks for listening to this episode of 22 ground pod If Naughty's Guitar Music is your thing, then you might enjoy our Patreon page, where for £3 a month you will get access to the following series. The Naughty's Deep Dive, where we go through the likes of the Stalking Pete Doherty documentary in painful detail. My favourite 2000s album, where patrons and other guests come on to talk about their favourite album of the era. Legend or Landfill, in which we go through Enemy's top 10 albums of each year from 2001 and see if we think they are indeed legendary or for the landfill. Unsigned Stories, where we chat to bands that didn't quite make it in terms of signing that elusive record deal. We also have Fan Stories, where I talk to people about their memories and opinions on all things Naughty's Indie. You also get early access to any main podcast episodes and it's also worth checking out the YouTube page where you can see extended video versions of the interviews as well as plenty of other bits of commentary and opinion. All links are in the description. Now back to the pod. But I guess a lot of bands say now, uh, like talk to bands like The Cribs who say, you know, everything's got to be a lot more DIY now. Um, yeah, well, we had to pay for and then make our first record. Like we did it in a proper studio and stuff, but it was basically without anyone's help. And then once that was made, we shopped it around and then we got signed by a uh, record label based in vancouver canada called mint records and they put out the first album and they're fantastic and then um yeah for this uh second record um we were lucky enough that uh, sub pop heard the first record liked it and wanted to work with us yeah so i don't know if that's how it used to work or anything but so you basically paid for the recording of football money did it all yourselves and then you got a record company to kind of release it from there yeah that's exactly right right yeah because i don't think we've spoke to any bands where they've 
have had to do that. So, I mean, yeah, I know what you're saying, like you can't really compare it because you don't know. But, yeah, a lot of bands think it's probably harder now to succeed in terms of, you know, in terms of monetizing things as well. Like a lot of bands back in the day used to get um, advances on, on deals and everything. But you've obviously worked hard to get to the point where a label would take you on. Or have the songs spoke for themselves, do you think? Um, well, I can just tell you, both record labels that we work with, they heard the record and they liked it enough or were convinced by it enough to, to put it out. Um, I mean, we're not, we, you know, we still we're, we're, we still have jobs, right? Like, uh, we're not like professional musicians by any standard. So I, I probably would be willing to bet that if you were in our position in like 2007 and you were on a cool label putting out your second record, uh, you probably wouldn't be still working a job, I'm guessing. Brown, I don't know. Does that make sense? Do you think that's true? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know what's happening now. I don't, like in terms of, I can't imagine like starting a band like now, especially, I don't know what's going on because obviously no one can tour or play shows and I don't know how well streaming and stuff does, but. Yeah, I can't see a visit like, I can't see a way out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, it's weird to think about. I mean, we would love to get back on tour as, as quickly as possible, but who knows when that's going to be allowed or possible. Yeah. But yeah, if, if this was like 2006, um, I feel like we'd be, we probably would have gotten more money from labels and stuff. But I don't know, I'm happy where we're at. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of like, I don't know, obviously you make it work in terms of working and touring kind of thing. Yeah, we don't tour a lot. Um, just being in Canada, like it's it's a little difficult. It's not like in the UK where you can just drive an hour and there's another city of like, you know, two million people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas here, you you drive like seven hours just to get to the next city. And <laughs> it's not like that's... Uh, only one of 10 different cities you can play it's pretty much like the next city and that's it and like you talked about obviously the shows that you had lined up in europe is that something that management sought out obviously uh yeah people take pretty good care of us uh, in terms of planning and booking things and doing the things that we don't want to do that's not writing songs and playing music you know with that in mind in terms of still having to work and stuff like what are your ultimate ambitions for the band would it be to become you know full-time musicians yeah man i would love to not <laughs> i would love if i didn't have to work tomorrow <laughs> yeah. what do you call the big stadium in london the o2 is that what it's called <laughs> yeah yeah oh wembley uh, yeah. well oh yeah is wembley the same thing as that no no wembley is like miles bigger it's like a big soccer stadium eighty thousand. yeah Oh, yeah. Did you hear the song that, you know, the band ELO, Jeff Lund? Yeah. Did you hear the song they put out <laughs> this year? It's, like a new, so. it's a new song, new ELO song. Sounds great, by the way. The whole song is written about the time they played Wembley, like, last year. And it's like, <laughs> it's like all of our fans were there under one roof. Or I guess there's no roof, but in one one space. And about how how happy he was that he got to play Wembley. All right. <laughs> Have you heard this, bro? No, I haven't heard that one yet. Okay, let me find it. I, I got to look this up. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. 
Like it's just like a song reminiscing about having massive shows. Yes. No, one specific show that he played in like 2018. Oh, that's cool. Well, it sound like he's like massively like backslapping himself or? Uh, <laughs> I mean, one might think that. <laughs> However, he seems really happy about it. So like, it's hard to fault him. Like, oh yeah, it's called Time of Our Life. <laughs> Good way. Okay, I'm going to read you a couple of lyrics. Went down to London town to play our music at the football ground. I can't believe this is going down, I said to my friend Phil. <laughs> 60,000 rocking out and singing so loud I had to shout. And best of all, they seemed so happy just being there. And then the course is, oh, what a time we had that night. We had the time of our life. And it keeps going. Like, it gets so specific about when we played telephone line, how happy they were and stuff. Anyway, it's pretty funny. But if I ever, to answer your question about career aspirations, if I ever get to play Wembley, I probably won't write a song about it. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I might try and clip that song into the podcast, actually. (laughs) Okay, yeah, do that. It's a good song. Yeah, so you released a song in September, last month, was it? That's right. Um, called Undecided Voters. Would you describe that as a political commentary or not really? I want to say no, but I think like it was written like over a year ago. Um, right. And it just it literally just happened to be that uh, our new record's coming out next year, and this is the first single, so it, it just made sense to make that the, the song. Right, because of what's going on in the United States at this time. Um, but it was in no way written about the election in the United States. It's just sort of a happy coincidence that it's coming out at that time. Ah, fair enough. Yeah, we've been been getting quite involved in it. Like, just been watching a documentary called The Trump Show. Uh, what's it like? I mean, obviously you're in Canada, aren't you? Is it something you keep a close eye on? Obviously, I don't know about you, Brian, but I try my hardest to avoid it just because it's always bad news there's any good news coming to that thing unless it's like november 3rd or whenever the election is or 8th or something and if he loses but so anything leading up until that i feel like it's just bad news yeah it's just a lot of conjecture as well isn't it yeah exactly so it's hard to avoid that stuff but I'm certainly not watching any documentaries. I don't fault you for doing it, but it's just like, it's bad vibes, man. And then you've talked about the second album. Has your sound moved on? Like, how would you say uh, it's, it's any different to the first? I haven't really talked about it yet. Um, I don't think it's particularly different than the first. We try, We actually, like, referenced the first record a bunch, like, in terms of the sound we wanted to get and stuff like that we were even talking about like the first two strokes records about how they stand apart from the rest of their discography because they nailed their sound on the first record and then they just kind of repeated it on the second and at the time people were annoyed by that but looking back it's like no they should have just kept doing that 
Yeah, I think. The, I mean, in terms of their best records, I think the the first two are tied for for first place. I remember Room on Fire, like critically, got a lot of like negative press, but I never understood that because it's like as good as the first. I think maybe it's because it doesn't get overplayed as much, but I always thought it was, it's definitely at least as good as the first album. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, yeah, it sounds a lot like the first one, but the first one is incredible and I don't really see the problem. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and I think there is some like variance in terms of just like, you know, they discovered that like 1251 guitar tone and they use that on like, you know, the end is no end. And like they have some, you know, they're switching things up a bit. The drumming is pretty different. There's like cutouts and stuff, which there aren't on the on the first record. They're, they're they're switching it up. It's I I I I think that record is incredible. It might be my favorite Strokes record. Yeah, I think if I was gonna sit down and listen to a Strokes album, it probably would be that one. Um, yeah, I mean, like you look at the songs that weren't singles on that, and it's like there's so many songs that could have been singles on that record. Yeah, yeah. What do you make of the new album? I really enjoy uh, Julian Casablancas's voice. And anytime, I'll, I mean, I could listen to him like sing the phone book kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just because I really like listening to him sing. And uh, and so I'm always interested to hear what he's doing and, and, and you know, stuff like that. Uh, so I, I still follow the strokes pretty uh, rigorously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I like, I listen to it and I, I, there's like some, I do get like a level of enjoyment from it. Um, you know, I think at this point, it's like, if you're still listening and following the strokes, like they're, you know, you're accepting that uh, you're being taken on this, like Julian Casablanca's uh, musical journey. Um, and you're not necessarily looking for him to recreate uh, the early stuff. Yeah. Especially with um, the void stuff. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's been very different, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's just sort of, if you sort of embrace that, you know, you're being taken on this sort of musical uh, Same musical odyssey, journey odyssey. again. <laughs> I said Odyssey this time. If you sort of embrace the Odyssey and like that, you know that. I think he's. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to say what he, how he feels, but I feel like it feels to me as a listener that he's like, you know, he doesn't want to recreate that early stuff anymore, and yeah. he's ready to do like try new things and experiment. And if you're kind of willing to do that and go with him on that uh, musical think, journey, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's I think it's still pretty enjoyable and like uh, fun to listen to, um, but I think it's all depends on um, the way you're you're looking at it. <laughs> you know what's wild? I'm just thinking about now. It's like the first Strokes record is like 20 years old, basically. Mm-hmm. That's the equivalent of being like in the year 2000 and like still hoping the Smiths get back together yeah, I was and make about good that records. The time difference is so wild, man. Yeah, because I mean, when we were, say, yeah, like 2006, the, the idea of the Smiths just seems so long ago. <laughs> Whereas the idea of the Strokes now doesn't seem 20 years ago, really. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's not. They still play, like, I saw the Strokes last last summer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was last summer. I was there. In Toronto, and it was incredible. Like, they, they sound, they still sound amazing. And, um, they look great, too. Yeah, they look great. They sound great. <laughs> they, I, I don't know. It was like an amazing show. And we talked to bands who, like when they were starting out, they get a leg up from these bands. Like the Libertines were known for helping out smaller bands. 
just wondered if you'd had any feedback from not so much bigger bands but bands that you were into or you've had any kind of love from other bands in that way yeah i know what you mean um mostly canadian groups i don't know if you would know but um trying to think uk thurston moore came to our london show he lives in london i so i can't really say sonic youth helped us out or anything but he was there um did he come and have a chat with you and stuff yeah yeah um he's friends with our manager so uh, it wasn't totally organic but it happened and he seemed into it but mostly canadian groups like do you know sloan uh i don't think so yeah or like thrush hermit like they're more like yeah from the previous generation like early 2000s and stuff like that in, in canada and those people like that have been super supportive and nice to us but um trying to think if there's anyone that you would know probably not to be honest it's a pretty niche canadian thing for the most yeah. part but but you've played shows with those guys have you yeah yeah like we've we played we uh played the thresh hermit reunion tour and we've played with um chris murphy from sloan's new band um stuff like that yeah and that's pretty cool for, for us anyway to ask as well that like we ask bands um about when you know they go from being a band that's not signed to then getting signed and then going into the second album like you guys are and some of them have said like the pressure changed where it was kind of a pressure to be more commercially successful and i guess you guys being on sub pop is obviously still um like an indie label have you felt any pressure in terms of songwriting or has your songwriting process stayed the same well personally i can say that um like they didn't they didn't have any expectation i'm sure they had expectations among themselves but they didn't communicate anything to us about like we need a radio hit or we need um something that we can sell to somebody or anything like that they totally let us do our own thing um so we haven't had any pressure to be more commercial or anything like that um it's more just personally knowing that the stakes are higher that, you know, you might not get this opportunity again to, to put out a record on a really cool label. So you want to make sure that you're doing something that you're not going to regret. <laughs> Honestly, I think. Yeah. So you kind of just got to embrace that kind of opportunity basically. Yeah, exactly. But okay. no, there's been no, no pressure or anything from, from anybody really. Um, aside from like, you know, obviously there's deadlines that people have to hit um, in order to do, get the record out on time and things like that. Um, but no one has ever interfered in any of our um, artistic decisions or creative choices or anything like that. How has the pandemic affected everything? Obviously, it's stopped you playing shows, but um, how has it affected the band in general, really? Uh, well, we made the whole new record during the pandemic. Oh, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, we had probably uh 10 songs ready to record and we thought that was going to be the second record and then because of the lockdown I, um we were able to write three more and so now there's more songs on the new record so i don't know it's kind of been good for that and like you know it 
for creative reasons, but it's been horrible for others. And even just logistically, like being in the studio and wearing a mask and you can't have too many people in the same room and, and stuff like that is, is a nightmare. We ask everyone that comes on, like, is there a song or album that makes you most nostalgic about that, that Nazis period? I can think of a lot of things, man. Like, um, I can think of like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm not, not that I've, I haven't heard a lot of this stuff in a long time. Right. Like, yeah. but I remember, like, I specifically remember listening to the Kaiser chiefs <laughs> at one point being right. in, into that song. I predict a riot. Uh, and, yeah. like, and like hearing that song recently being like, Whoa, I for, totally forgot about this. Um, uh, we've, I've been listening to like, um, some point during the pandemic, somebody sent me a video. I think it was Mike, our bass player actually was like, Hey, check out this future head song. It's still wicked. And we, I was listening to the future heads first record for a minute. Oh, yeah. We had them on. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty great, man. That first future heads record. I don't know any of their other stuff, but <laughs> that first, first one is the holds up. If it came out now, I think people would be into it. Yeah, that was like, it was massive when it came out, yeah. Was it in, over there? I don't yeah, even think it was huge. that big here. It wasn't that big, did you say? I don't think so, bro. And do you remember it being big here? Uh, not, no, not in general. I mean, it was big with our, like, friend group, I think. But, yeah, in terms of the general population, I don't think, I don't know how much attention it got, no. I was yeah. just talking to my girlfriend about how, like, the biggest band in East Coast Canada, where we're from around that time, was like Franz Ferdinand of all these bands. They were yeah, like, I was just going to mention they were massive. The likes of the Futureheads and Franz Ferdinand really kind of crossed over into the mainstream. I think. Well, for us, like everyone knew Franz Ferdinand, but I feel like only one in I don't know. Like there was probably only like three kids at my high school who would have known who the Futureheads were. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I was watching this mad video of Franz Ferdinand actually where. They played the NTV Awards, but it's like this medley with who was in it. He was like the Black Eyed Peas, <laughs> um, and some other like I don't know Bruno Mars or someone. Maybe it's a bit before Bruno Mars, but yeah, it's mad to play like this medley of songs. So yeah, they, they must have been pretty big over there. Oh, they were huge. I remember like I specifically remember reading this Rolling Stone article. Uh, like right before Kanye put out 808s and he was saying like he talked to Alex from Franz Ferdinand about like singing styles and stuff like he was asking him for like vocal advice on like how to become a better singer and stuff and thinking about that now is pretty nuts right like I also remember Snoop Dogg being into Franz Ferdinand really saying that he wanted to work with the guys who made that Take Me Out song like it was huge, man. They were way bigger over here than most of the UK bands that we've been talking about. I remember a story about Artie Monkeys when they first came out. Like Puff Daddy was really into them. That's <laughs> so funny. And he used to go to the shows in America and stuff, which seemed just mental, yeah. Yeah, that's really weird. Um, I'm so into that new or newest Arctic Monkeys record, by the way. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? It's incredible. It's probably my favorite record of like the last few years that's come out. I listen to it all the time. And like, I can't stomach any of their other records, really. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, I liked them when I was younger, like when they came out and stuff. When I, whenever the first one came out, I liked it. 
at the time, right? What is it, like 2006 or something? Yeah, yeah. I liked that one. Second one was okay when it came out, and then I, they fell off the radar completely for me uh, until this new one came out, and I was like, ah, maybe I'll listen to it. And, uh, man, I'm still listening to it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think because he, um, he changed his songwriting style, but I think, he, I think he wrote all that album on the piano, maybe. Yeah, and just, like, the, his lyrics got so much different and better. Like, he's great lyricist on the new record. Like, the, the songs are so funny all the time. <laughs> and, like, we're a band that, like, we try to be funny with our lyrics, too. Um, the new record, especially, there's, like, a lot of humor in it. And uh, I don't know. There's not that many other groups in the mainstream like they are that do that sort of thing. Yeah, I know you mean, like, on the title track of the album where there's a part of the lyrics where he's just talking as if he's the hotel receptionist yeah mark speaking <laughs> yeah. there's so much funny stuff man that's Even one of the best songs the, i've ever done that i think definitely the first line of the album is i just wanted to be one of the strokes now look at the mess i'm in like that's <laughs> yeah. great <laughs> yeah there's rumors uh the back in the studio so it should be interesting to see what they do yeah, I hope they keep doing more interesting stuff like this and don't start going like bluesy rock again. But yeah, I'd love to know what what Alex Turner makes of it all. Like whether he's just he must be just writing for himself now. Surely, I don't. Yeah, know. and that's also why it's good. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Obviously, like that whole scene was very defined in the UK, and people look back on it as like a a real like defined period of music is that the same in canada or do you just remember bands that you're into rather than thinking you know that was like a a real era of guitar bands well we had our own thing going on over here right so like around that same time is is when over here there were there's like a canadian indie thing where it would have been like the new pornographers the wolf parade arcade fire you know Nico Case, Unicorns, Unicorns, Sunset Rubdown, Destroyer. Um, Yeah, lots of great bands at the same time were coming out here. The music is definitely different, like, than what was happening in the UK. Uh, But it was around the same time, I think. Does that add up? I think so. Um, Yes, it was like a good time for guitar bands over there as well, obviously. Yeah, I mean, they weren't even so much guitar bands. They were all doing trying to do like a, more of like an orchestral thing i think like broken social scene and uh yeah they were good lots of lots of bands around that same time had their own uh defined sound i think yeah and i mean i, I did put in a funny story but i guess yeah that's just a bit of a random one if you did no ask. no no i got stories oh excellent <laughs> <laughs> i have two and then bro and you have one maybe or two excellent <laughs> um neither of them happened to me because we're in Canada and I would have been like 16 years old at this time. Um but I have this f- friend of mine um from Manchester and uh <laughs> he was he recently told me that uh when he was like yeah like you know 15 or 16 his friend said to him, "Hey man, uh do you want to come hang out at the the charlatans jam space uh i read his book uh, tim tim burgess yeah 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 i read his book it was good this isn't tim by the way uh this story is a bit 
the other guitar player or something. Oh, maybe, I should, maybe I shouldn't be telling this, to be honest. Anyway, <laughs> my friend went to their jam space, and he was, like, not into the charlatans. Uh, but he was like, I'll go, and I'll see what they're up to. <laughs> and when he got there, uh, it was like, it's like, yeah, they're working on their new record. Like, you know, they're writing the songs. Like, let's come get a look and see what they're up to. And uh, their guitar player was like sat in front of the record player and listening to Northern Soul 45s and just like stealing all their riffs and speeding them up <laughs> to write the new Charlton's record. Uh, anyway, that was the one story I had <laughs> that I thought was funny. Yes. And the guy got that, mad that, that they were didn't, there. That didn't make the novel or the uh, biography. Yeah, I don't think it was Tim, but... And I don't know. If, I, this is all allegedly, but I think that's pretty funny. I think he got mad. I think he was like, "Get out of here!" <laughs> like his songwriting secret exposed was just like <laughs> ripping off old forty five. Yeah, he does. Um, Tim Burgess does a lot of. Uh, I don't know if you've seen them Twitter listening parties. Yeah, I yeah, have. Yeah. yeah, I followed along to the Franz Ferdinand one and oh, yeah. um, the Pastels one too. I followed along to. They did. Um, for their last record that they did one. They'll probably do one for you guys. I think they think they're doing like he's trying to do loads. But oh, is he? It'd be quite cool, yeah. Has he managed to monetize this yet? Um he's got like I don't know actually, he's got a website for it where search for any of the previous ones and you can see the tweets come up on the website as they would do during the album, like on a, on a time thing. Oh, that's cool. Cause I found that tricky because I didn't want to listen to the record. I just wanted to hear like juicy little tidbits like pop-up video right yeah yeah so that's what the website does it kind of the main people involved it just shows their tweets coming up tweet by tweet which is pretty cool i only really followed the cribs one live but that was that was really good what record was the cribs one um they did that one but the one i listened to was the new fellas the uh is that the one evan collins produced yeah it is yeah so he was uh, commentating on it as well I was into that record big time. That was cool. Did you say, Brohan, did you have a funny story? Somebody we work with had a libertine story. Do you remember this, Brohan? Oh, yeah. I don't want to say uh, his name, but... Yeah, yeah, in London, yeah. He told us a funny libertine story where, yeah, maybe we won't say his name, but uh, we were drinking with him in the pub in London uh, after our show, and we were kind of, yeah, like celebrating a good show, and he he was, like, telling us... uh, He's like, oh, I, I wouldn't remember the venue name or anything, but he told me it's like a very small venue, apparently. He's like, oh, I saw the Libertines back in the day, like, you know, like a 200 capacity venue or whatever. And uh, he said he was standing up front and uh, he had like a cold beer, like a bottle of beer. And he set it down on on top of uh, like Pete Doherty's amp, like on top of the amplifier. And he said a girl came by and just like sw- took a huge swipe and like, knocked it off the amp and smashed on the ground. She's like, don't do that. And like yelled at him. And uh, he was like, oh my God. And he looked up and it was Kate, uh, Kate Moss. Like, <laughs> he had like knocked a beer off his amp and he was just like, oh my God. And then, she, and then she's like, oh, sorry about that. And she went and bought him another beer. So his, uh, his like uh, story is that Kate Moss uh, bought him a beer. <laughs> that is a good story to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Not every day uh, Kate Moss will buy you a beer. Give me more growing 